All right, we're going to be in 1 John. Not, not the Gospel of John towards the beginning of, the, of your New Testament, but 1 John towards the end of your New Testament. This is number one and then John. 1, 2, 3 John. We're going to be in 1 John. So um, I was a kid growing up, and, and my sisters would, they would get fixed. My older sisters would, each of them would get fixated on a specific movie that they would wear out so like, I don't, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't think of the movie Beaches or Grease or uh, what's the other one? Um, huh? Yeah, maybe Still Magnolia. Yeah, you know, those movies, you know, just kind of, I kind of want to vomit if I hear about those just because they, they were played so many times in my house. But they would also get fixated on, on music. And so one sister would have a, a CD, you know, uh, jamming in her, the same songs over and over and over in her room. The other across the hall would have other. But there was, there was one song that would, that would waft through the house. Um, and, and Gloria Estefan made a promise to me when I was a child. And, 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 and you know what that promise was? It was that the rhythm was going to do what? What was the rhythm going to do? The rhythm was going to get me. The rhythm was going to get me. And, and the problem is, I realized as an adult that, that Gloria Stefan had lied to me because <clears throat> the rhythm still hadn't got me. You know what I mean? And I hadn't got it. I'm, I'm, I'm afflicted with this, uh, this total lack of rhythm. And, uh, uh, and, and, and no matter what, you know, I tried to shuffle. Brayley, I tried to shuffle the other day. Where's Brayley? Did I miss her? And Brayley's AWOL. All right. Tell, tell her she missed being in the sermon. Hey, and uh, I tried to shuffle the other day, and uh, it, just, it just converged into the achy breaky. Anybody remember the achy breaky? You just kind of running in place, waving your hands. And, and I can do that. I nail that one. But any other dance, I just can't do. And I, I struggle in the rhythm department. And, and I know I quoted this last week, but I want to quote again uh, just because it's such a powerful truth and a powerful quote uh, from my favorite book, my favorite movie, The River Runs Through It. Norman McLean writes, is a Scot and a Presbyterian. My father believed that man by nature was a mess and had fallen from an original state of grace and that only by picking up on God's rhythms were we able to regain power and beauty. A lot of truth in that statement. Man by nature was a mess, fallen from an original state of grace and it's only by picking up on God's rhythms that we regain power and beauty. Um, God is inviting you to dance with Him. An ancient way of understanding God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. An ancient way of describing and understanding God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and how Father, Son, and Spirit relate to each other is this idea of a dance. Uh, ancient believers uh, said that, uh, that, that there has been this eternal, from eternity past and for eternity future, that God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is, is involved in this divine dance of love. And the word they use for that is the Greek word perichoresis, where we get our word choreography. And it's this idea of this circular, self-giving, others-serving, other-honoring dance of love. And, and the amazing thing about salvation is that, is that God is inviting you and me to dance with Him. And He's this incredible dance partner. And He even can make us look like we know what we're doing. That's how good He is. And, and, and He is inviting us to dance. And not only is He this incredible dancer, but He's the composer of the song that we're dancing to. He's the composer of the song that we're dancing to. And so what sin is, is sin is me stomping my feet to the beat that I make. Sin is, is, me, uh, is me insisting on my own rhythm 
and refusing his. Sin is me doing the achy-breaky when God's really doing something else. Um, sin is not following the lead of the greatest dance partner who, who could ever be. And, and so as we think about, we, we're in this, this series called Refocus and talking about how, how everything comes into focus as we focus on Jesus. Talking about how, how God calls us to this community life of loving one another. Throughout the New Testament, we're told over and over, love one another, serve one another, admonish one another. Um, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another. Um, we can't practice those one another's of Scripture if we're out of rhythm with, with God. We can't practice those one another's of Scripture just by trying really hard. And these aren't just a list of like really nice things to do. See, a lot of times what we do with Scripture, what we do with things like love one another, forgive one another, uh, honor one another, we take those things and we say, well, that's a list of really nice rules to keep. That's a list of really neat things to do. I'm going to try that. But the, the thing is, these one-anothers that we're talking about, these aren't just random rules. These aren't just random commands. These are practices that flow out of the life of God himself. These are modeled after how Father and Son and Spirit relate to one another and, and, and self-giving, other-scented, honoring, mutuality. Uh, there's, there's no way to be in rhythm with others if I'm out of rhythm with God. And so if I'm, if I'm wondering, why am I, man, why am I so out of joint with my spouse or my friends or, or my kids or my coworker or everybody in my life is just such a, a loser, if we find ourselves like thinking that way, I need, we need to look at what's, what's my dance looking like with God because I cannot be... Um, in rhythm with others. There's no way to be in rhythm with others if I'm out of rhythm with God. And so um, your one another life with God, that's going to determine your one another life with people. Your one another life with God is going to determine your one another life with people. And if, and if that one another life with God, you and him have a one another relationship. And if that one another relationship with God is out of joint and out of sync, there's no way to be in rhythm with the people in your life. Um, so A.W. Tozer is a quote that you, you've probably heard and hear a lot. It's just such a good one. It's worth, it's worth repeating. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so last week, we talked about setting our mind on God and just thinking about who he is, thinking about the holiness of God and thinking about the humility of Jesus. But we all kind of have ways of imagining God, and some of those ways are, 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 are healthy and biblical. Some are unhealthy and unbiblical. So as you think about God, as you imagine him, what do you see? Um, some people see a, a kindly but feeble and weak old man with a long beard. Some people see an angry tyrant who's just ready to get you and punish you. Some people see Morgan Freeman. Um, maybe we just kind of see a distant, shapeless mass out there somewhere. Uh, maybe it's from the Ten Commandments movie, but I'm always, uh, you know, always kind of tempted, as, uh, especially as a kid, to, to just imagine God kind of as like a big ball of fire, you know, like, you know. Um, and and there's, something, there's something in that image that's it's accurate, but that's not the whole picture. Maybe you see Jesus. 
Maybe you see the crucified and risen one. You see the glory of God in the face of Christ. What you believe about God. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you because that's going to determine everything else that you are and everything else that you do. And so N.T. Wright, an incredible professor and author that I appreciate a lot, N.T. Wright, when a student says to him, I don't believe in God, N.T. Wright's response is, which God is it you don't believe in? Because there's a lot of versions of God floating around. There's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of untrue and inaccurate pictures of God out there in the world and within the church that are floating around. There's a lot of presentations of God that are not accurate and that are not true. And so when we say, I don't believe in God, well, which God do you not believe in? When we say, I do believe in God, which God do you believe in? Is it a God that we created in our own image? Is it a God that, that is just like me and loves the people I love and hates the people that I hate? Which God is it you believe in? Which God is it you don't believe in? And so as we explore the one another life of community, these one another's of Scripture, as we think about connection, you know, again, like no matter how many times people disappoint you, no matter how many times people let you down, we always, we keep having this desire to connect because God put that desire there. Um, and, and as we think about connecting, as we think about community, we want to turn our attention to the God who is revealed in Scripture. We want to turn our attention to the God revealed in Christ as the perfect picture of what community looks like. And, and so we're going to talk some about the Trinity this morning. Not just because it's in our church name, although that's pretty cool. We're going to talk about the Trinity because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are and have been and always will be the perfect community. God has been from eternity past, and God will be for eternity future, perfect and complete and in community with Himself. The Father, the Son, and Spirit in community with one another. Love. God is love. God is love in Himself. And, and, and our need for community our need for social interaction is because God has created us in His image. He says in Genesis 1, let us create man in our image. In male and female, He created them. In His image, He created them. God is social. There is a community of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so our community life flows out of that. And so I want to read to you 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. And in these 15 verses, love is going to be used. The word love or some form of the word love is going to be used 27 times. Love or some form of love is going to appear 27 times. So the theme of this passage is love. Three times the phrase love one another is going to appear in this passage. So let's just walk through this passage. 1 John 4, 7, beloved. That comes from that Greek word agape, which is God's, uh, uh, God's special kind of love, that unconditional, was it that we sing overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God? That's agape. That's that other-centered, self-sacrificing God kind of love. Uh, uh, beloved, agapitoi, let us love, agapomen. Agapitoi, Agapo men, is what he says. Beloved, let us love. He's addressing us as people whose identity is, is found in you're loved by God. He doesn't say, hey, people that do a bunch of cool stuff, love people. No, he says, beloved. People who, whose identity is found in the fact that God unconditionally and overwhelmingly and never endingly loves you, if that's your identity, he says, let's love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or another way to say that would be the atoning sacrifice for us, for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. He says, nobody's seen God, but if we love each other, his love abides in us. Another way of saying that is, you know, people haven't seen, you know, the people you're rubbing shoulders with, you're not rubbing their shoulders, but like you're rubbing elbows or shoulders with at work. People that you encounter, let's say that, people that you encounter at work or at school or in your neighborhood, they have not seen God. But when they see you loving people, they get a glimpse of God. And when they see us practicing the one another of Scripture, see, we're not going to practice loving one another, serving one another, humbling ourselves, forgiving one another, bearing each other's burdens. We're not just doing those things just because it's good for us, although it is. We do those things because it reveals God to the world. His people haven't seen God, but when they see you loving each other, forgiving each other, bearing with one another, people get a glimpse of, of who God is. And so it's amazing that this same John wrote in John, the Gospel of John chapter 1, he said that, 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 uh, that, that in, in Christ... We beheld his glory, God's glory. Now he's saying, it's as you love each other, as we love each other, that people get a glimpse of who God is. It's pretty incredible, guys. Okay, let's calm down for a minute. <laughs> By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Do you see that? Do you see the Trinity hovering here? He's given us of his spirit. And the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. First thing I want us to see about love today is that love is rooted in something. John roots love in the person of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Stay with me. Love is rooted in something. I don't get to define love any kind of way that I want to. I don't, I don't, I don't get to... Uh, I don't get to just say, well, love me the way I want you to love me. I don't get to go punch Will in the face and say, hey, that was love. That's how I define love. That's not what I get to do. I wouldn't do that, Will. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm dumb, but I'm not that dumb. But, but I don't get to just define it how I want to. It's rooted in something. And, and, and John roots love in the person of, of God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship with one another, in the triune God. That's where love is rooted. John writes, love is from God. Love is God's idea. God created it. God made it. And not only did he make it, not only is love from God, not only is he the one who defines what it is, but he says, God is love. That's God's essence. It's who he is. He says, beloved, let us love. As someone who's, uh, who's, who, who, who is loved by God, our response to that is let us love. We don't love uh, just because it's the right thing to do. We love because we're loved. 
Loving God and others flows from your beloved status, your identity as beloved ones of God. Again, we see Father, Son, and Spirit hovering here. Paul Tripp writes, think about this amazing fact. He says, God Himself is community. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three equal and distinct members of the Godhead. They don't just live in community with each other. They are a perfectly functioning community. They are the perfectly functioning community. Everything Jesus does is in full concert and absolute agreement with the Father and the Spirit and vice versa. The three members of the Holy Trinity move, act, live, speak as one. So naturally, when God made human beings in His image, He designed us to be community beings. We were created as social people. So I want to talk a moment about the Trinity and how true love is rooted in this God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Because what we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So how do we make sense out of a God who is three and yet one? How do we make sense out of a God who is one in essence but three persons? Uh, it's been said that if you, if you um, reject the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. But if you try to understand the Trinity, you'll lose your mind. So we want to acknowledge that this is a deep thing, all right? This is a mystery here. But this is something that God calls us to, to set our affections and our heart on, to set our minds on. What does it mean? It's kind of like how, how Jesus is fully God and fully human. This is mysterious. And yet something worth thinking about. So God is eternally from all eternity past and for all eternity future. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so... Um, there's a graphic we can pull up that, that, that maybe helps. Again, God's not a math problem. We, we, it, it, it's hard to talk about the Trinity in, in ways that, that keep it relational. But this is an image that, that I believe helps. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are, are, are distinct. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. Uh, but the Father is God. The Spirit is God. The Son is God. So sometimes we say something like, well, God's like an egg. An egg's got three parts, shell, white, and yolk. Well, but God's not like an egg. An egg has three parts, but the shell isn't the egg. The white isn't the egg. The yolk isn't the egg. But see, the Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. But look at that circle around there. The Father glorifies the Son. We get this especially from the Gospel of John, chapters 14 through 17. The Father is glorifying the Son. The Son glorifying the Father. The Spirit glorifying the Son and the Father. There's this relationship of other-centered honoring going on. There is one God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. The Father is in the Son. And the Son is in the Father. The Father is in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in the Father. The Son is in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in the Son. So words to remember, unity. We don't worship three gods. We worship one God. We worship one God who is diversity. He's three persons. So sometimes we say, we try to understand the Trinity and we say, well, I'm a father and I'm a husband and I'm a pastor. So, hey, I'm three different things. That's like the Trinity. No. 
God doesn't put his father hat on and do this and then put his son hat on and do this and go put his spirit hat on and do this. He is from all eternity and for all eternity, father, son, and spirit. Um, Is this this mind-boggling? Yes, it's worth thinking about. When our our, uh, Jehovah's Witness friends come and knock on on your door and they're going to say, oh, we love Jesus and we worship Jesus and Jesus is amazing, but Jesus is created by the Father. No, it's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what we believe. We don't believe that the Father is up here and the Son and the Spirit are down here. That's how worldly things work. That's how worldly structures of power work. But Father, Son, and Spirit are co-equal. Co-eternal. The Son always has been. The Spirit always has been. From all eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have been dancing together in a relationship of love, unconditional, other-centered love. And creation means you and I have been invited into that. Salvation means you and I have been invited into that. God didn't create us because He needed a playmate. Kind of like when your kid's bored and so you get a dog and then you, you realize that wasn't a good idea at all. It's not what happens with God. He doesn't say, oh man, I need somebody to love. No, God has somebody to love. God is love. Totally content. Totally satisfied within himself. He has everything that he needs in his perfection. But kind of like, like Jerry Stapp in the morning, he, he, he shaves his face, he slaps some cologne on his cheeks, and he looks himself in the mirror and he says, you are too good to keep to yourself. Right? Is that how that goes, Jerry? God is too good to keep to himself. And he creates us, not because he needs us, because he wants to share himself with us. And he wants to invite us into his life, share his life with us, share his love with us, share his dance with us. So love is rooted in this God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. Love is revealed in Christ. Look at how love is revealed. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Love is revealed in Christ. Love is revealed as God gives us his best, which is himself. Love is revealed as Christ lays down his life for us. You think that has anything to say to your marriage, your life group, your friendships, your neighbor relationships, that love is about others serving others. Love is about self-sacrifice. Love is about laying our lives down. Love is generous. Love is unconditional. That's how God's love is revealed. It's revealed in Christ. And finally, love results in something. Love results in life together. He says, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. He goes on to say, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Stanley Grins, great theologian, wrote, your life together with other believers stands as the best confirmation that you know God. Your life with other believers is the best confirmation that you know God. God's love opens us up, but sin shuts us down. You know, so often we talk about sin and it comes off as don't do this, don't do that. But the thing is, sin 
is stomping my feet to my beat out of rhythm with God. Sin shuts me down from the flow of God's goodness that he wants to flow into my life. Richard Rohr writes, sin is the state of being closed down, shut off, blocked, and thus resisting the eternal flow that we're meant to be. What's got you closed down? What's got you shut off? What's got you blocked? Love has the result of an openness and a life together. Love has the result of chasing fear out. Verse 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Because, and I'm wrapping up, but hear this. When God's love comes into a life, fear is chased out of that life. And we may be saying, hey, I'm afraid right now. Does that mean God doesn't love me? No, calm down. God loves you. And as you but as you embrace his love, His love uproots fear. Because God invites you to dance, you don't have to live in constant fear of punishment. Some of us were raised with a view of God that we just had to look over our shoulders because he was just waiting to catch us doing something bad and he was going to get us if we did. Man, if you don't repent now and you go get hit by a car on your way to the parking lot, I don't know what's going to happen to you. Some of us were raised with that view of God and we're just paralyzed, afraid we're going to make him mad. Some of us are on the other extreme, but we'll talk about that another time. Because God invites you to dance, you don't have to live in constant fear of failure. Guess what? Sometimes you're going to do the achy-breaky when God's wanting to do something else, okay? Sometimes you're going to stomp on his feet, but he is a great dance partner. And he's a gracious dance partner. And he can make you look like you know what you're doing, even if you don't. He's going to make you look good. He's going to do good things in you no matter what. Because God invites you to dance, you don't have to live in constant fear of your circumstances. I want to be sensitive here to our circumstances, but you know, I had the opportunity yesterday to hear Karen Green, I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this, but I got to hear her share just some of her testimony again, and it's always powerful to hear Miss Karen's testimony. She's one of our ladies that you often see greeting you and welcoming you. She's the leader of our hospitality ministry, welcoming ministry, and one of the most hospitable and welcoming people I've ever known. And... And Karen talked about how at the age of 21, she found out she had cancer in her bone and that she was going to at least lose her leg and had a, had, a, had a very small chance of living more than two years. And, and it changed her life and it shifted her dreams and, 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 and how, yeah, that was hard, that was difficult. But even as a 21-year-old kid, there was a sense of God's got this and it's going to be okay and I'm going to walk with Him. And, and, and that's so humbling. You know, what if you get sick and die? Is that the worst thing that's going to happen? What if, what if, I don't want to sound crass, but what if you lose everything? Are you dancing with God or not? I, I, Michael Harbour, my friend, the, the minister over at Fourth and Elm Church of Christ, he said something this weekend that I just love. He, he, he says a lot of things that, that I just want to grab hold of and, and think about, but he said, he said, you can determine if what has happened to you will ruin you. You can determine whether what has happened to you is going to ruin you. Is what has happened to you going to ruin you? You decide. You determine. Because God invites you to dance, what's happened to you doesn't have to ruin you. Because God's invited you to dance, you don't have to live in constant fear of your circumstances. And so the band's coming in, they're getting ready, but, 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 but at John ends, all this talk of Trinity, all this talk of the atonement, all this talk about all these heavenly things, 
He ends in a very practical way. He says, verse 20, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Can you imagine if, if, if I said this, if, if, if John said this like today, he'd be getting letters, I can't believe you would call me a liar just because I, I rest my case. He says, if anybody says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For who, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he say he loves God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. At the end of this talk, he says, here's what it comes down to. Do you love your liberal brother? Your fundamentalist brother? Your socially awkward sister? Your confused brother? Your rebellious neighbor? There's no way to be in rhythm with others if we're out of rhythm with God. I believe that, that God is inviting each of us, each and every person in this room, He's inviting us to dance in a special way. I know, especially for us men, we may not be crazy about that image of dancing, but it's okay. You'll, you'll be okay. I've been hanging out with women all weekend, so I'm in touch with my feminine side. But God's inviting man or woman, child, God's inviting every one of us to dance with Him, to just step into what He's doing, to let His life flow from Him and into us and through us to others. God is love, and you are loved. That changes everything.